Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Earwigs, they're a garden problem coast to coast. How do you control these pests that can take down young plants overnight? Well, America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, has some tips for controlling earwigs. And we talk with a fruit tree expert about the benefits of pruning your stone fruit trees this month. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. And we're brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Fred and Debbie, this is Derek from Fort Collins, Colorado, Zone 5B. This is my first real year gardening, and I direct sowed a bunch of veggie seeds and annual flowers. Um, I did the annual flowers in ground under strong mulch, kept them well watered. Same thing with veggies except in raised beds with better soil. Anyways, I noticed that once they emerged, earwigs, of all things, started just decimating the annuals quite viciously. They skeletonized a lot of them. And so I was reading, and I used traps, oil traps, vegetable oil, and soy sauce to uh, take down their populations. It was just really weird because I was reading that they're actually a beneficial. They love aphids, etc. They eat them, and they keep the real bad bugs down. So I just figured I'd ask you all to just talk about that because being my first year, all the pests I've read about, etc., I did not read about earwigs and how they could be really bad. I guess they, when their populations jump up, it's no good. And so also do pill bugs or roly polies eat live plants? I could have sworn I seen one. Anyways, thank you for all you do. Love your show. And I hope you all have a great day. Bye. Derek from Colorado, thanks for uh, chiming in on SpeakPipe. And if you've got a question for Garden Basics, you can also go to speakpipe.com slash Garden Basics and uh, leave us a message without incurring any phone charges. Or you can pick up the phone and call us at 916-292-8964, 916-292-8964. If you want to text us pictures at that number, be my guest. Email, sure, send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. You can also leave a question in the contact box at GardenBasics.net. Debbie Flower is here, America's yeah. favorite retired college horticulture professor. Earwigs, Debbie, they have uh, actually been kind of a nemesis in this area, too, for a while. Yeah, and I can remember being in Arizona, and we had a carpeted living room and sitting on the floor watching TV, and one came crawling across the carpet. They can look kind of scary because they have those pinchers on the back. Uh, they do not get in your ears and, and, and hurt you if, if anybody happens to think that or has heard that. Uh, but they do eat organic matter. They're including young seedlings. 
They also eat insects. They eat aphids and mites. But yeah, young plant parts. I'm putting together a story in my head for what Derek did. He said he put mulch down, which is a wonderful practice. Totally support using mulch. Uh, I wondered if that helped the population expand because that gave them something to eat and a place to hide. Not that it was wrong. It's just that it helped the population expand. Insect populations over time can come to somewhat of a balance over time. So he may have had a particularly bad year by starting a garden, number one, giving them some seedlings to eat and applying the mulch. Yeah, earwigs, as Derek pointed out, uh, can be beneficial. Yes. Problem happens when they have a nice, cool, moist, dark environment to hang mm-hmm. out in, like maybe an overwatered mulched garden. Right, which is a seedling situation. Yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, earwigs will bite you if they get in your clothes. Oh, you've had that experience? Yes. Oh, my. <laughs> Yuck. Yeah, so just... Just be careful. Huh? Don't wear loose clothing in an earwig infested garden. Okay. Uh, okay. That's my I'll advice. Keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. All right. I love the fact that he used the traps, the oil in a, a can with some soy sauce. You can just some vegetable oil. It doesn't need to be very deep. The oil will actually clog their uh, breathing portions. Insect breathe through their skin, their rear ends, usually through their skin. And when they, they're attracted by the odor of soy sauce or also bacon grease, uh, also, uh, tuna water, the, the, all those things attract them. You have to put the traps in so that the top of the can, and I use cat food cans for this, uh, tuna fish cans work as well. So they're the small cans, shallow cans, but bury them so that the top of the, the can is even with the soil and the can is open. You've got the bait in there and they smell it and they come running and they fall in and they drown. And you typically have to empty them daily. I would think if you want to keep your uh, nosy dogs and cats out of that uh, particular trap from looking at the oil or the soy sauce, you'd put some sort of screening over it. Pretty wide screening, probably a half inch uh, mm. screening over the top of the can to allow the earwigs to get in, but uh, keep your tongue of dog or cat out. Yeah, I have used it with cats outside at night, and we have lots of other critters and have not had a problem. So if you came back the next day and the trap was empty, you might consider that something did drink the oil and whatever else is in there. And yes, put a dome of netting or something over the top. And of course, the old trick of the old uh, rolled up wet newspaper. Mm -hmm. Place that out there in the evening and you uh, wrap it very loosely. It's a loose roll and place it uh, in their traffic area, if you will. And in the morning, you can just uh, pick up that rolled newspaper, walk over to the trash can, unroll it and spill them. Yes. It's another nice, moist, cool, dark place that they will hide. They they feed during the night. So this is uh, something you're going to have to do at night. Put the traps out at night, chuck them in the morning. By morning, they will have disappeared. They will have found that moist place. And that could be that rolled up newspaper. Usually earwigs won't go after your permanent uh, plantings of trees and shrubs, for example. They like soft fruits. Yes, I opened an apricot that came off my friend's tree. I was cooking with it, and there was an earwig, and it looked surprised if an earwig can look surprised. <laughs> oh, I've been exposed. Yes. Mm, protein. Yes. All right. Uh, yeah, that, and that's the other uh, thing, too, is if you have a lot of fallen fruit, Fred, yes, I do. I'm going to clean it up. Don't worry. But if you have a lot of fallen fruit, yeah, clean it up. Yes, because that gives them a place to hide and feed and, and reproduce and do whatever they, they want to do. It's not only important 
important in season, but out of season too. Don't leave any sort of uh, wintertime hotels uh, in, yeah, in that, the yard. That's a conundrum for me because I have lots and lots of mulch. I'm not removing that all winter long. No, I, I, I guess you could turn it and that might expose them. Well, there is one chemical and I tend to use it only when I have put seedlings in the ground or seeds that are going to grow into seedlings. And that's a, it's called spinosad. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I see if I remember this correctly, the by, a byproduct of a fermentation process. You know, it's made in a laboratory or it's made, but, but it's not a mixture of mad chemicals. It's a byproduct of a natural biological process. It is organically acceptable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it's found in, among other things, a brand of, called Sluggo Plus. You have to have the plus part. That's the spinosad. And I will use that just the one time a year when I'm first putting in the garden. I put it around, read the directions and follow them. The amount that you use is very, very little. It's something like teaspoon per hundred square feet or something really minor like that. Don't apply too much. And I just put it where I think things that would eat it are going to be hiding. And so in a raised bed, that's just inside the wall of the raised bed. And I might put it around the base of the raised bed where it meets the soil outside because that the uh, slugs and snails and earwigs that if this controls hide during the day in these cool, moist, dark places. And Sluggo Plus, by the way, is registered for use against earwigs as well as uh, slugs and snails, mm -hmm. which most people think of Sluggo as being effective on. Right. It's that plus part that brings in the earwigs. It is effective as well on cutworms and pill bugs, uh, the other name uh -huh. for the roly-poly. Uh -huh. But that goes to Derek's other question. He saw one roly-poly <laughs> and got worried. Roly-polies basically like to eat decaying organic matter. Right. That's their primary meal. If there's no decaying organic matter, then they might go after seedlings. And they're not big climbers. So they will eat what's touching the ground. They are good guys, too. Yes. In the yard. We need them to break down the organic matter to release the nutrients available there uh, and create the humus that, that is so wonderful in the garden. So if you saw one, I wouldn't do anything to control them. Earwigs, though, a different matter. Yes. And even with earwigs, you can tolerate a small population. But, mm -hmm. but when you start seeing your seedlings disappear, first of all, make sure it is earwigs and not something else like cutworms. Yes. He didn't mention in his uh, voice mail about finding things in the traps, but I'm assuming he said he put out the trap that he did collect earwigs in those traps. Right. A lot of great organic controls for earwigs and just uh, doing regular cleanup mm -hmm. can, and not watering so much mm -hmm. if that's possible. And the, like we were said at the very beginning, the combination of too much water, too much mulch uh, leads to a uh, earwig hotel. I believe... And I'm doing this off the top of my head, so there's a 50-50 chance I'm wrong. But I believe that if the problem was so severe that you could solarize the soil and raise the temperature over 100 degrees. That might get rid of eggs. I think the adults would leave. Okay. They, they'd move out. But they do lay eggs. In that debris. Yes. Yeah. So uh, solarizing would 
kill those eggs. I guess that would be another option, too. If you do have a heavily mulched yard and you do have an earwig problem, maybe replace the mulch. Good point. That yeah. might control the eggs, too. But, yeah, and uh, Derek, you are not alone. Earwigs are a problem just about everywhere. Yeah, yeah. but good luck with your gardening. Sounds yeah. like you're being very observant, and that's very important. There's a lot of great information on websites about earwig control. If you're looking for reliable information about any sort of uh, pest, usually go to your local university websites, your local cooperative extension in whatever state you're in, and they'll usually have fairly reliable advice on what to do for a variety of pests. Correct. Here in California, the University of California Ag and Natural Resources uh, website is full of great information. One other hint I did come across was to use black plastic mulch uh, in the garden, which I abhor, and I won't do it. I'll bait for those earwigs before I'll use black plastic mulch, but that they, they aren't interested in that. Right, right. Environment. Earwigs, yes, but uh, with judicious... Uh, monitoring and trapping you can control their population and they tend to be very seasonal too mm -hmm. as things dry out in the summer i think it becomes less and less of an they issue they do like moisture yes all right debbie flower thanks for your help with the earwigs always a pleasure fred good luck derek you've heard me talk about the benefits of smart pots the original award-winning fabric container Smart pots are sold around the world and are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of the imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly. Not smart pots. There are satisfied smart pot owners who have been using the same smart pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose smart pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate smart pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in smart pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. They won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of smart pots creates more branching of the roots, filling more of the usable soil in the smart pot. Smart pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part. On that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your smart pot order by using the coupon code FRED. Use it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash FRED for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers. And don't forget that special Farmer FRED 10% discount. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. You want to start the backyard fruit and nut orchard of your dreams, but maybe you don't know where to begin. Or maybe you're currently growing fruit and nut trees and you've got a million questions, such as what are the tastiest fruits to grow? Where can I go to buy some of these delectable fruit and nut trees you've been reading about? And then how do you care for all of these trees, including planting, pruning, and harvesting? I've got one online stop in mind for you where all these questions you might have will get answered. It's DaveWilson.com. That's Dave Wilson Nursery, the nation's largest wholesaler of fruit and nut trees for the backyard garden. 
They have planting tips, taste test results, and links to nurseries in your area that carry Dave Wilson fruit trees. Click on the Home Garden tab at DaveWilson.com for all of these links, including a link to their years of informative videos about growing fruit and nut trees that they've posted on the Dave Wilson Nursery YouTube channel. Start the backyard orchard of your dreams at DaveWilson.com. We have a couple of fruit tree questions that have come into the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Gloria writes in and says, I have an apricot tree. Seedlings are falling. They're growing in the ground all around. Should I replant them? There's about 20. They're all about five inches tall. I don't know what to do. Phil Purcell's with us from Dave Wilson Nursery, wholesale grower of fruit and nut trees available throughout the country and apricots and seedlings. So what is Gloria going to end up with there? Well, she's going to end up with a brand new variety of apricot. (laughs) Basically, she's kind of doing her own hybridizing without even knowing about it. That's what these new seedlings are, right? They're just chance offsprings of the fruit itself. So we don't know what that apricot was possibly cross-pollinized with anything else. And that's kind of how trial and experimentation, that's how we come up with new varieties. That's not to say that those seedlings will go ahead and make a nice sturdy tree. That's a whole nother subject. But I mean, she wants to try and, you know, maybe see if she can come up with a new variety of apricot. That's a way of doing it. I probably wouldn't spend too much time on the process, though. So basically, dig them up, pot them up, and uh, give them to your friends, label them a mystery apricot. Sure. Since those trees have not been grafted, we don't know if that apricot's going to be a nice, sturdy tree in, in the ground. But it's something that might be kind of fun to try out. And it might not produce any fruit at all. It's farming. Well, let's uh, define for people exactly what grafting is, because I bet many people don't realize that a lot of fruit trees are hybrid varieties that uh, consist of, of basically two different fruit trees. There's a rootstock. And then there's the uh, scion, the budwood that was uh, grafted to it. Yeah. So, you know, when people will go take a look at fruit trees, they'll notice that maybe about three or four inches above the soil line, there'll be like a little knot, you know, off to the side. It looks like a branch is going. Well, that's where we graft our fruit trees. And what we do is we select specific trees and they have to be in the same family. So for peaches, we select specific peaches. That the fruit might be horrible, but it might make a good anchor for the tree or it might be uh, resistant to a certain type of insect. So we use that as what we call the understock or rootstock. And then we graft the variety that is a good tasting variety onto that rootstock. So that's how fruit trees are produced. I would say 95% of our trees are grafted. All right. What about that other 5%? Is there an apricot tree that will produce true from seed? We don't have anything in our mix. Most of our, what we call cutting grown or on their own root would be kind of like figs and pomegranates. And people have experimented at home and taken cuttings and planted them. And next thing you know, they have black mission fig. And that's kind of how we do it at the nursery. But for most of your stone fruit and palm fruit, so apples and pears, they really need to have a good anchor, and that's why we use specific rootstocks to, to graft onto those. Because soil conditions are different throughout the country, moisture conditions are different, and so the root, rootstock is chosen in, to better able live in that particular soil. Absolutely. That's the whole idea with rootstocks. 
Patty writes in on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page and asks, when can I prune my dwarf peach tree? Dwarf, by the way, is in quotation marks. We have harvested a good crop of Babcocks. And Phil, I think maybe uh, Patty's being a little sarcastic here by putting dwarf in quotation marks, like maybe the tree is no longer dwarf, because uh, when it comes to Babcock peaches, uh, I don't recall... uh, a, a dwarf babcock is there such a thing there is there isn't so there is a little you know misunderstanding between dwarf and standards now there is a semi-dwarf babcock root uh, fruit tree and generally that's put on citation rootstock and that's the semi-dwarfing rootstock we use but for a true dwarf there are only what's known as miniatures genetic dwarfs that are just inherently small growing. Some retailers will like to promote what they call an ultra dwarf. And believe it or not, it's actually like a peach tree that is grafted onto a standard rootstock. But when it's early in its growing stage at the nursery, they pinch it down low. So the branching comes down low and it looks like a dwarf fruit tree, but that will become a standard fruit tree. Kind of answer your question on when's a a good time to... you know, prune that, that Babcock tree. We always recommend summer pruning. And by pruning in the summertime, you're going to keep that tree nice and low. So you're able to pick almost like a fruit bush. So you want, you want to be able to pick your fruit. Best time to plant is when, is when that tree is actively growing. That way, you know, you can keep to the height where you want it and you're able to go ahead and produce new fruit wood down below as opposed to letting it grow too tall and next thing you know it's just the birds and squirrels giving the the fruit so the general rule of thumb is uh let the tree grow until it's taller than you and then start snipping everything that's just out of your reach put your uh, pruning shears up above your head and and cut off the branches uh where uh, your, your arm ends yep absolutely in fact you know my uh my house it most of my plums you know, half of them have already fruited. So that's what I'm going to do this upcoming weekend. I know it, it's, you know, the middle of, of July, but it's a perfect time to go ahead and, and prune those trees so that they'll be able to callus over before uh, the winter time happens. But now you're keeping control of the, the height of the tree. And honestly, you're saving yourself a lot of pruning time in the winter. Well, that brings up the question then for a lot of people that may have a peach tree or another fruit tree that's out of control that is 20 feet tall. Should they be pruning that in the summertime? A tree that big, if you do cut it and cut it back in thirds, you tend to open it up to too much sun and sunburn. So in cases like that, you might want to try to bring the the size down in the winter and then uh, kind of work its way down. It sounds odd, but that's what you would do. If you prune it too hard, a mature big tree like that in the, in the summertime, you could do a lot of sunburning inside. All right. So save it for the dormant season then. Those that one saves to the dormant season. All yeah. Right. But again, as you point out, you want to do it in thirds. So you'd be removing one third of those out of reach branches per season. Correct. Do it all at one time. You're taking away all the leaves, which photosynthesize and produce a healthy tree. So you don't want to do that. Phil Purcells with Dave Wilson Nursery. You can find out more information about all their fruit trees and nut trees at DaveWilson.com. Phil, thanks for a few minutes of your time here. Yep, no problem.
In the latest Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast, we continue our chat with Sacramento County Master Gardener and berry expert Pam Bone about another berry issue facing gardeners this summer. What can you do with all those berries you're picking? Pam has three great recipes that are easy to prepare, and they're a hit with everyone who has tried them. It's in the next Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. It's out Friday, July 22nd. Find a link to it in today's show notes, or visit our website, gardenbasics.net. That's where you can sign up to have the free Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter delivered to your inbox each Friday. Also at GardenBasics.net, you can listen to any of our previous editions of the podcast, as well as read a transcript of the podcast episode you're listening to now. That's at GardenBasics.net. For current subscribers, look for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter Friday, July 22nd in your email. Take a deeper dive into gardening with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter. And it's free. Find the link at GardenBasics.net. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out every Tuesday and Friday, and it's brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Garden Basics, it's available wherever podcasts are handed out. For more information about the podcast, visit our website, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can find out about the free Garden Basics newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you so much for listening.